Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here with Aaron, and Aaron is the founder of Hedgedesk. And Hedgedesk is a company that is going to make some significant changes as far as helping eliminate currency risk. And I am going to let Aaron kind of describe what that means and what that entails. And But starting out, Aaron, I would like you to share a little bit about your background, kind of talk about, you know, where you started out educational-wise, kind of that journey up that led you to being the founder of Hedgedesk, and talk a little bit about that. Yeah, great. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I went to school. I went to college to be a lawyer. I was in the pre-law program, and um, uh, I did love debate, uh, loved um, the sort of underlying principles of, of what makes the current law system, but um, I kind of got bit by a bug in my junior year of college and decided to join the Marine Corps. So I went to the Marine Corps as an officer. I served eight years. First five years, I was doing traditional Marine Corps stuff, deployed to Southeast Asia, deployed to the Middle East. Um, but the second half, I had a rare opportunity to serve at what's called a warfare lab. And if you have, if you're a, if you're part of the military industry and you're creating weapons or vehicles or software that would that would be considered classified, you can't just test them at, you know, any old place. You have to take them to a certified warfare lab or facility to actually test these things. So I was the operations officer um, for this warfare lab that basically tested anything that would bridge the sea to land gap. So Navy Marines, uh, we would test the, that stuff. And we were actually revenue generating for the treasury, one of the few areas of the US government that's actually revenue generating, uh, maybe perhaps other than the IRS. And so uh, in any case, I kind of fell in love with uh, business there, being exposed to industry, contracts, uh, personnel management, fell in love with business, and ended up starting a technology company as I got out of the Marines uh, in 2015. Um, started a technology company in the legal marijuana space. And um, uh, at the time, you know, we saw marijuana blowing up in Colorado and we saw what was probably going to likely take place across the nation. And we started a distribution company that functioned a lot more like Amazon. So it was a digital distribution company. So all business to business, um, both making it easy for buyers and sellers to operate together, but also uh, to handle all the regulatory and compliance aspects, because you basically had now a regulated pharmaceutical drug. And there was a lot of requirements on these business owners. We made that all easy. That company blew up. Uh, it was, uh, grew really fast. I was named to Inc. Magazine's 30 Under 30 um, in 2016 for leading that company. And um, you know, for lack of better words, I basically had a, a conversion experience in 2016. I um, you know, had a sort of experience with uh, Jesus and became a Christian. And so I had a worldview shift that kind of changed my perspective on the business that I was doing. And in changing, changing that perspective on that business, I um, just felt like uh, I wasn't um, placing a value judgment on marijuana as a whole, but I had a fiduciary duty to sell as much of it as possible to as many people as possible. And I just really couldn't get behind that. So it took me three months, hired an interim CEO, gave all of my stock back to the board to redistribute to shareholders and, 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 and company personnel. And uh, it took me about three months, but um, I moved out of that company and started working a few months later at an organization called Bible Project. Um, Bible Project is, I think, likely the fastest growing crowdfunded project in world history. Um, when I came in 2000, early to that, or late 2016, early 2017, we were bringing in, you know, a modest sum of donations every month, you know, $10, $15 from a couple thousand folks. And um, we we're doing about $75,000 a month in crowdfunded donations. 
I think this upcoming year, so five years later, they're going to post somewhere between 25 and 35 million, all in donations. Everything is for free. It's just merely creating a fun and engaging sort of creator economy experience for um, those that give. And um, we've now reached um, uh, hundreds of millions of people with those videos. And so it was a great opportunity for me to learn not just how to build a business, but how to, how to market, how to build a brand, how to communicate. Um, so that's been a fun ride. Um, how it connects to Hedgedesk. I, um, early, about 2018, we started translating those videos. And we were engaging with contractors all over the world. And these contractors, of course, are getting paid. And we ran into a currency exchange rate issue where we would sign a contract, the currency would move, and then it would change the amount that the contract was due. And when you have that across hundreds of contractors, it becomes a problem. I reached out to the leading financial firm in the world um, that handles exchange rates called Chatham Financial. And I called Chatham and uh, I threw a friend, I got connected, I called Chatham. I said, hey, we've got this couple million dollar exchange rate issue. Um, what can we do to solve it? And they said, you are way too small to even begin to solve this problem. And I said, well, how big do you have to, how, how, how small can you be where you can still really solve the problem? They said about 5 billion in exchange rate um, exposure. And of course, there's hundreds of thousands of businesses that have exchange rate issues that do not do $5 billion a year. Sure. And um, that's where I realized that, that this wasn't just our problem. This was a problem for a lot of people. Yeah. That, you know, that's a that's a fantastic story. And uh, first of all, thank you for your service. Uh, you know, greatly appreciate that. And uh, always have to give respect and, uh, you know, the kudos for serving in the Marines. So my brother was 27 years Army. So uh, got a soft spot for anyone who served in the military. And thank you for that. Uh, sure, it's my pleasure. So, you know, you're obviously going to be making an impact on a very significant large industry and mm -hmm. sector when you're dealing with exchange rates and currency on sure. global. Sure. And uh, mm -hmm. give us give us a quick idea because we have to learn everything about the company and what you're doing. But give us naturally what I would yeah. call a quick elevator pitch, like within a one or two minutes, kind of go through the whole the whole pitch of what your company's doing, and then we'll take some time and do a deep dive more into the various you know aspects of that pitch. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, for um, most of us, we've traveled overseas before. And you know, nowadays, we just swipe the credit card and the bank does an exchange rate for us. But many of us remember actually going to the currency counter and exchanging our dollars for pounds or euros or, um, you know, uh, maybe even uh, Italian francs uh, or Swiss francs at some point, you know, and um, uh, before the euro was around. Now, we don't think much of that when we're just traveling and having fun. But if you're a business operating internationally, you're doing those exchange rates all of the time and they can really impact your business. You know, we'd like to think that the value of a dollar to a euro stays the same over a period of work, but that's just not the case. As exchange rates go up and down, the cost of doing business overseas or the money made overseas goes up and down with it. Now, if you're a large company, and I mentioned earlier in that story, you know, the 5 billion plus, if you're a large company doing a significant amount of overseas um, transactions, you have the money to go hire a Chatham Financial, or if you're Apple or Google, you actually build your own treasury department within the CFO suite that handles those exchange rates. I think Apple famously saves, actually not saves, makes. So this isn't preventing risk. This is actually alpha they generate. They make five to $12 billion on average every year by managing exchange rates strategically. That's buying and selling the currencies they operate in at the right time instead of just some random time. 
And so that's great for big business. That's great if you do 5 billion and you can hire Chatham. But for the other hundreds of thousands of businesses that are now doing international trade because the barriers of entry have come down, technology, logistics, communication, the internet, Shopify, Etsy, all of these different um, uh, software services and systems have reduced the barrier of entry to international trade. And so you have all these people playing in it. But the, the, the truth is the financial infrastructure that supports those businesses has not kept up. And so there's this big financial infrastructure gap between businesses doing international business, the, the current markets and systems have been built to solve that problem, but they're just not, uh, there's just, there's, there's a company size gap. And so we set out to solve this problem um, quickly realized it was humanly impossible to solve this problem efficiently with just more people. And so we turned to AI three years ago to solve the problem and have built an AI platform that can successfully manage exchange rates as well as a human team, but at scale. Uh, that's fantastic. And uh, so talk about, you know, obviously, I don't know how much you want to get into the actual platform itself, but what, what, sure. what let's, you know, Try to share what you can as far as what makes this platform unique and special to, you know, what's out there, or what's available. Not much is available, I don't believe, but, you know, share right. what makes this platform unique. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, the fundamental difference is uh, if, you, if you know the company Stripe and you think about the company Stripe, what Stripe did really was um, it took a convoluted process and made it really simple, you know, five to seven lines of code, you could actually start up um, online e-commerce transactions. Now, it's not like you couldn't do that before, it was just complicated. And I think most importantly, because it was so complicated, um, businesses had a hard time integrating it into their platform. And I think what Stripe realized was businesses don't wanna have to integrate it um, themselves, they wanna be able to use services that have already integrated. So take like Shopify as an example. Shopify doesn't want to build e-commerce transaction, you know, merchant gateway systems. So they, they bring Stripe in into Shopify. Now, any Shopify customer can actually utilize underlying infrastructure Stripe's developed and at scale. Um, Stripe has, has been one of the fastest growing infrastructure as a service companies in the world, right? They're worth almost as much as Goldman Sachs. They did that in 10 years, not 150. And, um, and they're, not, they're not slowing down. And so I think this infrastructure as a service, financial infrastructure as a service, building infrastructure in the cloud with code is the next frontier for sort of financial development. Is it, It's treated more like software than it is like banking. And so um, we have a similar approach. Rather than going from like where Chatham goes to one large customer, they land the whale, they integrate, they build this bespoke system. We're approaching this more as an infrastructure as a service approach. So if you're ADP or Papaya Global or Deal or Globalization Partners and you have clients that have international salary exposure, rather than going out and creating an entire hedging program, those companies are able to build um, hedging solutions for, for uh, overseas salary and employees specifically. So now if you have a million dollars in overseas salary going to employees in Europe and you're delivering that local currency in, Euro in euros, you're able now, and, and of course, that means your salary cost is going up and down with the euro every month, which makes budgeting for the CFO an absolute nightmare. You can, through your ADP or Papaya platform, just simply go, I would like to, for 3%, lock in my salary at the negotiated rate. And we take care of all of that as an underlying infrastructure to ADP or Papaya. Um, it's sort of decentralizing at the transaction or cash flow level the idea of hedging, which for most businesses in that big category is actually sufficient. They don't need a massive 
um, centralized um, hedging system. Um, they, they really have a few bespoke needs that's best solved through a platform partner. So we're taking that infrastructure as a service approach, with, which allows us to scale quickly because if you get ADP or you get Papaya, you get all of their current clients for the largest balance sheet risk that's there, which is payroll. Um, and of course, that's a big booming market right now, over, moving salary and employees overseas due to remote work. Um, uh, in any case, that's sort of the fundamental is, is that if you engage with our platform, there's going to be some fun analytics. You can look at some cool stuff. You can set up some rules. But really where the power of our system is not, it's, it's not really in the, the, the SaaS user experience. It's in the underlying infrastructure that's being used by other companies. And, you know, and it's obvious what the market is as far as, you know, one mm-hmm. can just imagine and understand, you know, how, how sure. that market is. But talk about, talk about the market for just a minute here. Yeah, so um, that's a great that's a great point. So um, we are playing in the international foreign currency market. That's a large market. It can be a little deceiving. Like, how big is that? It's $5 trillion a day. $5 trillion moves around the world every day. Now, that's supporting lots of things. That's supporting intercompany transfers. That's supporting global payments. That's uh, supporting central bank transactions. I mean, you name it, There, there's anything that causes money to move across a border, that in total is $5 trillion per day. Now, if you look at global payments, global payments is a $2 trillion industry. So of the $5 trillion transacted every day, you know, across the whole world, what's the actual fees coming out of, of, of those payments? $2 trillion annually. And I don't know about you, but a $2 trillion market is a pretty big market, relatively speaking. Um, now, what's interesting about that, though, is that those global payments are for spot transactions. So you're like, what's a spot transaction? So um, of that $5 trillion every day, actually the majority of it is not being transacted that that day. Only 40% is being transacted that day. So if I wanna send money to Europe and I send it through, uh, I don't know, um, uh, TransferWise or Bank of America, and I send that money, I'm sending money a spot transaction today. On the spot, I'm making a transaction. That's about 40% of that $5 trillion. 60% 60% are forward transactions. I'm buying currency that I need for the future. Now, who's playing in that space? The same people that Chatham is doing business with, the Apples, the Googles, people that actually have access to the forward market. And so if the global payments for spot transactions is $2 trillion, and then you've got this forward market that's inaccessible to most people that actually need to do forward transactions, what we have the ability to do is to actually expand that market um, exponentially. By giving access to the majority of people now playing in the international markets and being able to give them access to that forward market, considering that $2 trillion of just spot market, we're talking it's probably, even today, if everyone had access, it's probably a $5 trillion fee market today. Um, and in fact, we could actually expand that forward market activity, which I think it creates that virtuous cycle of more access creates more growth, which creates more access in emerging markets, which creates more growth. And But really the thing that unlocks that is getting the majority of the market that doesn't have access to the Ford market to actually get access to the Ford market. So um, to put a number on it, it's pretty hard, but it's really big. It's one of the largest. Yeah. Sure. So that should lead us right into then your go-to-market strategy, which is going to enable you to reach the market you just talked about. Yeah, um, absolutely. So our go-to-market strategy. So um, like any good, um, like any good uh, business person, you want to be able to start with something simple that you can expand on. And that simple thing needs to deliver enough value 
to actually be able to create traction. So what's the thing that's actually revenue producing that creates value, but is also kind of the, the minimum simple step we need to take in order to move in progression to, of the business plan. And so for us, that's, that's really two areas. It's one, it's allowing um, smaller companies to be able to uh, set up uh, manual transactions. And so let's say you have a large capital expense for a piece of hardware um, from China, and that's going to take six months to build. Well, I, if, if, if that piece of hardware comprises 15 to 20% of my outgoing expenses for the entire year, if the, if the, if the Chinese yuan or the Chinese renminbi moves, that could actually expect, that could be an existential threat to our business. So to be able to hedge a transaction like that is very simple. So we're actually launching that into beta um, in April timeframe of next year. We already have about half a dozen businesses signed up for it. I expect as we press on that, we could have easily 12 to 18 businesses that would just be using the core components of our platform for that. Um, in September, we plan on launching our first infrastructure as a service um, uh, uh, business, which is going to be with, for global salary. So um, deals, papayas, we're working on uh, some partnerships uh, with those companies that would at least provide an integration where you could hedge what's happening in that platform from the hedge desk platform. And at best, perhaps even a full integration where you can hedge it from their platform without even having to log in to hedge desk. That'd be a much more integrated approach. We don't have to start there. Um, and then in January of next year, we'll be launching um, uh, two pretty large integrations. Um, the, sorry, the beginning of 2023. Um, that'll be this, uh, the Apple and Google Play Store. Uh, between the Apple and Google Play, it's about $800 billion to $1 trillion in transactions or, or merchant volume across both of those. So those are app subscriptions. Right now, if I can launch an app on Apple in 32 countries and I get paid in 32 different currencies. And I assume all of the exposure of all of those currencies. I can export an app in seconds and I can do absolutely nothing to manage or optimize the cash flows coming in. That's a very easy API integration for us to be able to do. Um, so you can kind of, you know, first manual beta, then the first biggest infrastructure play that we see, which is salary, and then moving to some of the larger categories of, of uh, API accessible transactions with Stripe, Apple, and Google. Sure. And so the monetization, then you're going to generate the revenue by transaction fees, then? Is that? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So th there's a small, small startup cost for a company to get on the platform, uh, but more or less, depending on, on tiering the volume. So you can imagine, hey, our largest customers are paying 50 to 75 basis points um, on uh, any transactions. The smaller customers are probably paying around 1.5%. Um, that varies depending on the currency. If you want to hedge, if you want to hedge um, uh, forecasted e-commerce revenue in Mexican peso or Brazilian real, it's probably going to be more like 2%. If you're doing a one-time transaction with euro, it's probably more like 50 basis points. And of course, that'll, that'll vary or tier on volume. Um, but it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty rich business plan. It's a pretty rich monetary um, uh, you know, sort of approach. Uh, I think Stripe Stripe charges, uh, if you're large, they charge about 2.1%. It costs them about 1.1% on every dollar they transact. So they're keeping about a percent. Um, our, our, our sort of transaction value will be very similar. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. So talk about competition. Do you, what, what, do you, what do you view as competition? Is there actual competition because you're doing something new and unique and different? Uh, talk about you know what that looks like. Yeah, sure. So... I would say that the, it's a very mixed competitive landscape. So you've got 
Um, I, I would say it's, it's dominated by, uh, for, for people that are trying to serve or businesses trying to serve the exact clients we're trying to serve with the exact same service. Um, there's a smattering of companies out there, but I think the difference is they're consulting first, technology second. So you've got consulting firms that will engage with a larger mid-market company to try to come up with a baseline framework on, of how to hedge, but it's a consulting one-to-one relationship. It's professionally, uh, it's professional services, fee dominated. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, I, I would say it's, it's definitely an analog approach to solving the problem. It's not scalable, if you will. You know, one plus one is two, not one plus one is 10. So that, that's a market. And those, those folks have been around for 10, 20 years. They're finding a slice in the market. But even, you know, if, Chatham, if Chatham's up here at 5 billion and Apple's up here at hundreds of billions, uh, the competitors we're talking about are in that, you know, 500 million to 5 billion range. They're kind of filling that next market void where they can make some money with this human, um, human uh, first approach. So that's one area. You've also got what I would consider to be um, API first or developer driven um, tractional services companies. So they might offer you the ability to access the forward market, but they don't give you any AI. They don't give you any statistical analysis. They don't give you um, any way to ingest cash flows. They're really just, if you want to use an API to transact and you know what you're doing, you could build the technology yourself to access their API. Um, that's a much smaller uh, area of the market. Currency Cloud is an example. Uh, Cambridge FX is another example, but they're by no means an end-to-end solution. And so I think what, what we're really talking about is, is we're taking a technology-first approach and where you would need a human, we've integrated AI to make it more scalable. And so those customers are not outside the realm of possibility. Um, if you, yeah, if you're doing $4 billion and you've got a very complicated hedge accounting process, maybe you do need to use one of those consulting firms. That's fine. But the other 200,000 businesses that aren't going to do that, um, our solution is a tech-first, tech scalable solution is great. Um, I would say in comparison to the API-driven approaches um, for like Cambridge FX or, uh, uh, or Currency Cloud, I mean, we're offering the same thing, but it's also, it's also backed with um, uh, algorithms that help manage your actual risk, that help forecast what the risk on your cash flows is, that helps with hedge accounting on the back end. It's an end-to-end solution. And then the third component that nobody offers, that there is no competitor in the market, is nobody is making this in infrastructure as a service model. Nobody's offering this through an API integration approach. That's completely novel. And so I think it's just we're standing on the shoulders of people that have done this, that have done this well for whatever they've been working on. You know, consultants figured out how to hedge. Great. Well, we brought all that best thinking into the platform. Hey, Currency Cloud has a great API. Great. We're bringing in a great API, too. Um, but we're providing end-to-end and then most of all, making it accessible through an infrastructure as a service model. And I think that's really the novel invention that's going to allow us to get down to folks that only need to hedge twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in exposure per year through another platform. And that's really how I think we reach global scale is, is that piece right there. And there are no competitors in that space right now. Oh, great. And that's a beautiful thing, as I would say. So yeah, that, that, that's now, fantastic. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about your, your raise. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, what the runway looks like, the usage of funds and, you know, mm-hmm. where that's going to put you as far as targeting, you know, your future revenue and then long-term picture that exit. So kind of talk about what that whole scenario looks like. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, we were kind of talking about this privately before we began. Um, 10 million is a large raise for a seed stage company. We're pre-market, pre-revenue. Um, I would just say that this is one of the reasons this problem hasn't been solved um, before is, is one, there was hardware limitations. Um, two, there were software limitations. The actual AI we used didn't exist. 
But one of the ones that I don't want to discount is compliance. We're dealing in the derivative space. Uh, I mean, my fingerprints are on hand with FINRA because we're a financially regulated entity. Um, so we're, re we're regulated under the CFTC, which is kind of the SEC equivalent for derivatives. And um, there's, a, there's a large um, amount of just cost that's incurred by simply ha existing, you know, monthly and quarterly and annual uh, requirements uh, that we have to submit to, uh, you know, U.S. governing authorities. And um, that cost is very cheap when you're at scale. It's pretty expensive for a startup. And so uh, we're raising a larger round just simply because of the nature of our business. Um, not only do we have to be an AI company, we also have to handle essentially banking compliance and we have to develop user experience and we have to do sales and marketing and customer service. And by the way, even our salespeople have to be series three qualified by FINRA, which is like the most complicated of all of the financial exams, just so they can talk to a client, right? So it's just, it's just a harder business to start. But it also has a huge opportunity, and we really do think that the, the, this, this round, um, should we be successful, will look quite cheap to investors in, in the future. Um, with that being said, we've raised, uh, we've raised over five. We've got another million committed. Um, so we have four million left in the round. I'm looking to close this uh, by the end of the year or by um, um, Q1, early Q1 of next year. And, and so it's a, it's a convertible note. It's a $500 million, or excuse me, $500 million, a $500,000. I know that'd be quite something, wouldn't it? Maybe the next round. <laughs> wow. Um, a 500000 minimum ticket size. Um, uh, it bears 6 to 12% uh, interest. So over time, if we don't have a converting, uh, converting event or a converting round, you actually, the, the interest rate hikes. Uh, 1.5x liquidation preference, pretty standard vanilla terms for a convertible note. Um, uh, I think the, 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 the big thing is we're looking to actually have a priced round that would be a converting event within the next two years. And that's what we've raised money for so far. So we've raised six so far. That'll get us two years, about a year, um, starting from July when we first initially raised, about a year to product and about a year in operations to, to prove product market fit and to bring in a second round. Um, if we bring in the additional four, that might get us an extra quarter of time. But really what it means is we're just investing into more of the platform um, and more aggressively going after partnerships or early clients. And so we're really looking at a two-year two year sort of uh, horizon for us to find product market fit and raise a separate round. I already have a lot of traction actually on the A round with uh, organizations that typically don't do seed rounds, but are very interested in following our journey. I have, I have no concern that if we find product market fit, that we'll, we'll be able to find a generous A uh, partner with the relationships we've developed so far. Um, as far as liquidity events in the future goes, um, I like to use Stripe as an example, because you're really one of the first big infrastructure service businesses. We have a very similar transactional model, a very similar approach. Um, you know, in 2011, when they got started, basically through 2015, uh, they had a one-to-one -one on volume to valuation. So if they did 25 million in volume, then they were valued at 25 million. If they did 100 million in volume, they were valued at 100 million. That changed in 2016 as they scaled. Um, obviously, as our hypothetical returns become a little bit less hypothetical, then you get a haircut on, on that valuation. But just recently, they got valued at 96 billion and they were doing about 250 billion in volume. So, you know, two and a half basically, which is pretty good. Um, I think the, the, the great thing is, is that, that Stripe could be a primary input into our platform. So Stripe transactions flow into our platform, you can actually hedge them. Stripe deals with e-commerce revenue and invoice revenue. Well, we're dealing with anything on the balance sheet in and out capital expenditures, um, sal global salary, um, e-commerce transactions. 
even rebalancing um, of a balance sheet between a primary company or headquarters in the United States and a subsidiary in Japan. All of those are things that we can help optimize and use, utilize the platform for. So I think we have a really big opportunity ahead of us. I wouldn't be surprised if our growth trajectory, should we be successful, looks similar to Stripe, um, if not more, uh, just by the nature of the fact that we're touching all of the different types of cash flows in and out. Um, as far as time horizons go, I think we're not going to be, you know, I think we, I'd be surprised if we didn't have acquisition opportunities within three years by companies like Stripe or banks. I don't know if they're going to price this correctly, so I wouldn't necessarily be prepared to take the first offer. Um, I, I'm guessing that real acquisition offers that are meaningful to us would come at five years or an IPO, you know, somewhere between sure. five and seven. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. obviously you can't do all this by yourself, Aaron. And yeah. uh, regardless of your incredible, you know, you have a great background and track record and what you've been involved with to date, uh, which is, which is, you know, really fantastic for a founder, but talk about the rest of your team that's making this happen. Yeah. Um, that's great. I'm going to mention, I'll mention three just because I know we want to be sensitive to time, but uh, you know, we have a deck that has um, a larger list of folks. Be happy to connect with anybody and fill you in on the rest of the team. I think there's, there's uh, uh, two superstars that are really key to our success. Uh, the first one's Robert Sentinella. Uh, Robert Sentinella is PhD mathematician, chartered financial analyst, spent the last five years at BlackRock leading their risk division for all U.S. domiciled ETFs and funds. So BlackRock has uh, probably now with uh, the Dow Jones reaching near all-time highs, uh, they've got about $8 trillion in assets. And Bob was responsible for managing risk and leading the team that managed risk on half of that, about $4 trillion in assets. Um, if you have a 401k in the United States, there's about a 40% chance that Bob was, that Robert, he goes by Bob, was responsible for managing risk on that 401k. Um, so, you know, uh, Charles Schwab tried to hire him, him as their chief risk officer years ago. The problem wasn't interesting enough to him. Um, this was a very interesting problem uh, to him to solve. And we're doing some really novel inventions, not even around AI managing currency risk, but actually just understanding the risk on a portfolio of cash flows across currencies, really exciting problems to solve from a quantitative financial perspective. So, um, so Bob's key, I mean, he's top five risk managers on the planet. When Goldman Sachs couldn't figure it out themselves, they would go to BlackRock and they would typically talk to Bob and his team. Um, the second one is uh, uh, Babak Dustar, uh, also goes by Bob. We have two Bobs. Um, so um, Babak uh, runs Microsoft Dynamics um, uh, Enterprise Sales across the United States. So if you're an enterprise business and you use Dynamics, then Bob leads, leads the sales team that's responsible for, uh, um, for that. Um, you know, he, uh, he'll be coming over in the summer of next year when we actually have a market or a product that's ready to go to market. So trying to be wise with, with burn and, and bring people on at the appropriate time. But Bob has been a part of this for, for years now. Um, we first started talking when he was the VP of enterprise sales for um, uh, service cloud at Microsoft or at uh, Salesforce, and then eventually went to Microsoft. Um, so 20 year sales leadership um, uh, can certainly get a meeting with nearly anybody uh, based on reputation uh, alone. And so a great opportunity to go to these enterprises that we could actually support from an infrastructure perspective. Um, the last one is uh, uh, in a fun, funny twist. Um, I had reached out to uh, Joel Worrell, who is the head of engineering at Stripe for their experience platform. So the primary product you engage with at Stripe, he was the head of engineering, led a team of designers and engineers of 60, um, is, was responsible for the architecture of Stripe long-term. And, um, 
um, I had reached out to him uh, to be an advisor to us. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure if Stripe would allow that. Stripe did end up allowing that. In a funny turn of events, he actually replaced me at Bible Project. So he ended up taking my job at Bible Project um, and is now their head of product or the chief product officer there, which is great. Um, he will also continue to serve as an advisor to us. So, you know, um, for any engineering nerds, uh, Stripe um, is a really impressive business, but their engineering is a bit of a mess. They actually just horizontally scaling Ruby on Rails servers. So every, cl- every time they get new batches of people or businesses, they just horizontally scale a very old architecture. Um, Joel, as he came in later and saw all the problems with the architecture that Stripe um, had sort of incurred um, over the years, basically technical debt, um, we have completely architected the entire Hedgedesk platform, learning from literally all of the mistakes of the primary mentor we could look to. Um, to, uh, uh, to solve, solve those problems ahead of time, which was Stripe. So Joel is a key advisor um, serving as an engineering advisor to us. Oh, great. You got some uh, dynamic people on your team. So uh, kudos to you for that. Uh, yeah. one, th- one thing I didn't you know, ask about is traction. And I know mm-hmm. I believe you like have a strategic partnership with Stonex, is it? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, right. So, mm-hmm. so maybe talk a little bit about the traction, you know, being pre-revenue traction is always important uh, for, you know, investors to see. Talk about where you're at with the traction and that strategic partnership and how that helps. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, we have had early conversations with um, companies all the way from having $2 million in exposure up to 12 million, even to Salesforce that has 3 billion in, in yen exposure. And everyone's interested in using the platform, um, at least from a conceptual perspective. So we, we, what, we, what we found is we have a lot of um, uh, problem solution fit. There's a problem and we're, we're proposing we have a solution. We found tremendous problem solution fit uh, where you know everywhere from even ourselves, we have one employee in Ireland and one employee in Indonesia, and we're losing $2,000 a month on delivery in Euro and Indonesian rupee. So we have a very small exposure. We will probably be our first client and it'll save us $20,000 a year, you know, which is meaningful when you're a startup and um, all the way up to potentially Salesforce. Salesforce has a much complicated, much more complicated problem because of accounting. They have to abide by gap accounting procedures, which means they have to abide by hedge accounting procedures. And so uh, we're right now exploring whether or not we can solve those accounting problems early enough to actually offer it to a company like Salesforce. So a lot of problem um, solution fit and a lot of exploration that's happening right now with the gamut of customers that, that we could potentially serve. Um, that, has, that has been good leverage to get strategic partnerships like Stonex. So Stonex is one of the larger um, emerging market transfer companies out there. So when Bank of America needs to send money to an emerging market, they don't typically do it themselves. They use a partner and their partner in this case is Stonex, right? If they're delivering Euro, no problem. They're moving yards and half yards, billions and half billions of Euro all the time. But when you're talking about Brazilian Real, sometimes it makes sense to use a partner that has better relationships. So Stonex um, Stonex, um, is, is that firm for a number of banks and regional banks here in the United States. And we approach Stonex uh, with this concept and to see if they would become our liquidity partner. We need a partner that can actually transact for us, right? We, we may one day want to take custody of funds, but just like a lot of neo banks, they want to have a banking partner like Evolution Bank and Trust, um, uh, like Cross River, where they're providing a user experience and technology, but they're not taking custody of cash. They're not providing FDIC insurance. They're not, they're not doing all of the AML 
uh, and money laundering procedures. And we wanted the same thing. So StoneX is that for us. If we hadn't had StoneX as a partner, just to start, we wouldn't have raised 10, we would have raised 25 million. And so just to start, which was going to be unrealistic. And so StoneX is a great strategic partner for us to be able to use in that way. So they do provide all those things I mentioned, you know, SIPC insurance, FDIC insurance when it when it's applicable, anti-money laundering procedures, actual custody of cash. We're just a an advisor over the account the business holds with Stonex. So we actually don't carry any of the financial risk. Uh, we carry reputational risk. We carry um, execution risk, but we don't carry any of the actual underlying financial risk of the transactions themselves. That's with Stonex. Stonex has never done this with anybody else. Uh, it's taking quite a bit of vetting and a lot of conversations for them to do it with us. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's an awesome opportunity. I think both for them um, seeking new relevancy in a, in a digitizing age and us looking for existing infrastructure we need to tap into. So good partnership there. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I think pretty exciting. I think come March, April next year, we'll have a much more robust pipeline of who exactly we're going to bring into this first group of users. But I, I would just say that, that we don't have any shortage um, you know, as long as the platform is the solution we've articulated to the, uh, the problem people are facing. That's, that's great. So as investors are specific about what type of startups they want to invest mm -hmm. in and what they're looking for, share mm -hmm. what you're looking for in an investor. What, what specific type of investor are you looking for to help finish out this round? Yeah, um, I would say, you know, First and foremost, we really want people that are going to use any wealth generated from the company wisely. And so one of the reasons we're excited about, about Thai, SoCal, it, um, well, just even the Thai network in general, not necessarily even just the SoCal um, division or chapter, um, is that you all are purposefully and intentionally investing into the social good. Of, of many of the companies that you invest into or who have a proclivity for uh, pursuing, um, you know, like you yourself, Jerry, involved in, 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 in nonprofit um, uh, sort of strategy and growth. And so me coming from a nonprofit as well, that's just kind of in our DNA. We really want folks partnering with us that aren't like, great, I'm going to buy another yacht, but hey, I'm going to take this and reinvest it into the community, the global community, reinvesting it into things that maybe aren't even necessarily uh, purely profit driven. Um, and, you know, our company is, is very like, it's a very, our business plan works well to generate profit. Not all business plans are, you know, work great at, at generating 10 or 100x, uh, you know, returns. I think in our case, we are. And so a lot of the wealth this could generate, we would love to see people of good character using that wisely. And it doesn't mean, you know, you can't use it, some of it for yourself, right? We're not trying to make a value proposition on, on, on using investments that you make for yourself in any way. But um, we'd love to see just people that have a similar mindset you know, to how to use new wealth generated. Um, that would just be like my, my broad headline. As far as qualifications go, I mean, look, I think uh, your ideal investor or your ideal entrepreneur or company might be at the center of a bullseye, but then you've got those concentric circles coming off that bullseye. What are those circles? Um, I, I would say anyone that has um, a B2B uh, financial services experience. So if you've sold B2B financial services, if you've sold B2B uh, fintech services, that's even better. Um, if you have international trade experience, either from a hedge fund or bank doing hedging or on the corporate treasury side, actually doing it within the company, that's a huge benefit. Um, anyone with corporate treasury experience can become a great um, sort of alpha tester with us, you know, on the platform. Hey, does this actually make sense to you as a corporate treasurer or a CFO? Uh, former CFOs uh, would be in that, that category. Um, 
And then I think anyone that has an eye for where the future is going, you know, remote work is exploding. It's estimated that by 2025, um, the U.S. will employ through directly or through subsidiaries as many people outside the country as they do inside the country. And so the future is moving somewhere. Do you have an eye for the future? Um, are you a good thought partner uh, that's paying attention to your particular domain of expertise that's able to bring some of that information back to help make us smarter? Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think that's, yeah, that's probably, that's probably who we're thinking about. Okay. Thank you for sharing. That's, that's great. Uh, you know, Aaron, I appreciate your time. Let, uh, to finish out here, how can people best get in touch with you? And this will also be put on the video. So, you, you know, it'll be shared on screen and in the notes so that people can see that, but let's share right now. How, what's the best way? Is it the email? Is it phone number? Is it LinkedIn? What's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, totally. Well, so I would say, you know, um, if, uh, if there was a particular like chapter or group of angels that were interested, I mean, I'd say, hey, get together and figure out what your, your questions are and let's do a group call with everybody. Um, if you independently, like with a family office, wanted to make a substantial investment, feel free to reach out to me directly. We can set up a call. But I would just say, I think first step is reaching out. Second step is like, let's get a call on and just see if it's a good fit for everybody. Um, and it's easy. You can reach me at Aaron at the hedgedesk.com. That's A-E-R-O-N at the hedgedesk.com. And we can start a conversation that way. Uh, I just want to be as efficient with yours and my time. So if it's a group of you, like, let's just all get together on like a webinar or something, you know? Absolutely. Fantastic. Again, Aaron, thank you for your time. It has been very insightful. It's great to learn what you're doing. I think, you know, it's a huge, huge, huge market and what you're doing mm -hmm. can make a significant impact on that market. So, you know, I wish you the best. I'm sure you're going to do well. And I look forward to following, you know, the progress and success of your company, Hedgedesk, as you move forward. So again, thank you for your time. Cheers. Thank you for your time, Jerry. And thanks to everybody that, that listened in. Thanks.